Support for Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom is brought to you by Manscaped. Thanks to listener participation over the last several months, Manscaped has been kind enough to sponsor the podcast. As long as people continue using our promo code SUNNYINKC to get 20% off their entire orders. So thanks to everyone who's helped us out so far. Uh, this is incredible. Check out this suggested intro for the ad read. With live sports being back, it's very possible that we may see an NBA playoff matchup between the Clippers and the Nuggets. So our partners at Manscaped want to make sure your Nuggets are safe as possible when they meet the Clippers. Ah, what wordplay, that's great. But for real, it's been amazing to be partners with them. I've been super impressed with their products. Per their ad copy, Manscaped is here to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. The Lawnmower 3.0 is the best hygiene tool for the modern man. Because of their ceramic blade and skin-safe technology, your snags will be reduced. They actually just released their Shears 2.0 nail kit, which is the perfect add-on to their lawnmower trimmer. The Shears 2.0 is a luxury four-piece nail kit featuring tempered stainless steel tools, and it includes slash-tipped tweezers, rounded point scissors, fingernail clippers, and a medium grit nail file. So get 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code SUNNYINKC at manscaped.com and take your grooming game to the next level. Now back to your regularly scheduled programming. So Austin, there's this thing. It's it's right up my alley. I know I've mentioned it to you in passing, but I have to I have to explain. In passing stuff. and in passing like a bunch of times. It feels a like I've been, I'm obsessed I've been passed. <laughs> I've been passed over and bludgeoned with this a few times, but, it, but we're talking about it because it's topical. It's a thing that's going on in your world and you want to talk about it. It You're is. I'm obsessed. It. it is called Blaseball, which is baseball okay. with an L. And it is a fictional baseball simulation, which is a good start for me personally, loving all of those words. And what this site does started off small, it's gotten very popular. So they had to kind of retool some stuff. But what they do is they start off with 20 teams. And when you join the site, you pick a favorite baseball team just based on how they sound. Um, Just to give you a taste, I'm not going to go through all 20, but it's like the Chicago Firefighters, the New York Millennials, the Hawaii Fridays, my personal favorite team. The Hawaii are, Fridays? Yeah, you know, everybody loves Fridays. They're chill, they're relaxed, they're on island time. Um, the Seattle huh. Garages, the Houston Spies, which is a, a good little good little dig at them there. Yeah, um, that's pretty funny. Yeah, the, uh, the Canada Moist Talkers, which is bizarre. So there are some definitely some strange kind of out there humor to it, but what they do, the heart of this game, is that before um, the, the simulation starts, you can use fake money on the website to bet on which of the, two, the teams in the matchups that you think are going to win, simulating real-life betting. And then when that team wins, if you, if you bet on them, you get some money. And then at the end of the season, you use that money to influence the rules of the league, which is oh. an interesting twist. And what they do is they jam an entire season into one real-time week. So they play one game an hour. Every team plays one game an hour. It's simulations. You know, they just bam, 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 go right through it. And they do one game an hour Monday through Friday. And then that's 100 games. And then on Saturday, they do the playoffs. Then everybody votes on the rule changes on Sunday. Then Monday rolls around. It's the new season, the new rules, and you go again. And so it's kind of a, a, you know, a sped-up, franchise mode on crack and what's really fun about it is the rules can be very strange uh the first season they voted the i wasn't playing in the first season but they voted for like a a hell mouth to open up in utah and now all the umpires when there's an eclipse which is part of the weather patterns they get 
possessed by this eclipse and they randomly incinerate a player on the field. And so now that is, that is very strange. It's very strange. It's very kind of sci-fi sort of, you know, they, they like to get weird with it and the community has really embraced the like fictional part of it. And they all write background stories for all these random players that all the teams have. And just very, it's kind of like a creative writing project too. A lot of stuff about where all these people came from and what they were, it's just, it's kind of, it, blends a lot of my favorite things together much like always sunny and chief's kingdom did we really need football back taylor Welcome in, everybody. It is the week of August 19th. I'm on vacation this week, but we're still doing this podcast. I'm not going to work, but I am bringing you the podcast here with my main man, Taylor Witt. Taylor, say hi. What's up, people? We're going to go through a bunch of news again, and then we've got some mailbag questions. Again, this has been kind of a little bit of a more you know newsy infotainment podcast lately. We are going to be switching up the format a little bit as we're getting here closer to the regular season. So just to give you kind of a heads up, we're about three weeks out from kickoff or three weeks out from kickoff next week. We'll be posting shows on Wednesdays if we play on Thursday night. So opening night, we will get that episode to you Wednesday so you can consume it on Thursday when you're hyped you're getting ready for game night opening night which is coming up in just a few weeks three weeks and so week six also at Buffalo we're going to have an episode then on Wednesday otherwise we're going to be posting on Fridays as usual we're going to be spending about half the show recapping the previous week and kind of talking about what's going on in and around the team and then the other half of the show to sort of previewing the upcoming game you know giving you a taste of what's coming up this weekend what uh, team the Chiefs are going to be playing, breaking down the matchup, that kind of thing, talking through that. And as always, if you have mailbag questions for us, you can send those in. We'll probably try and squeeze in another mailbag episode before the start of the season. But we do have some mailbag questions today that we are going to get to as well. First, Taylor, let's talk about the news. News, 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 news. We're going to kick this off with some news that dropped annoyingly while this podcast was in the editing process. Uh, On Thursday of last week, the Chiefs announced that they reached an extension with their star tight end, Travis Kelsey, adding four years onto his existing contract, which covered the 2020 season and 2021. He was scheduled to be a free agent after the 2021 season, but the Chiefs extended that contract through his age 36 season. That's an additional four years for 57 and a quarter million dollars, $57.25 million. So Taylor, we're going to jump into the details of this. I wrote about this for uh, for my article on Sports Illustrated last week. If you guys were not aware, we are sponsored by Sports Illustrated. So check out our podcast as well as our writing contributions on SI Chiefs. You can Google that or Arrowhead Report is its name. Also follow that on Twitter at SI Chiefs. Uh, but I, I kind of dove into this a little bit and broke this down because my first Annette reaction, Taylor, and I want to hear kind of what your initial thought on this was, a four-year extension for a guy that's turning 31 in October seemed like it seemed like a lot to me, right? Like he's yeah. this is the first guy that the Chiefs have extended this offseason that isn't in their mid-20s. You know, we got Mahomes, we got Jones done, and then the other guys that they signed were all you know one-year deals. So, not a major commitment to a player 
essentially on, you know, on the wrong side of 30. So what was your kind of initial take on that? I, I love Trav and I've thought that he's brought so much positivity and energy and, and competitiveness to the team. There's a lot obviously to like about what he has done up until this point. One of the greatest chiefs ever. No, no denying that, but your gut reaction is as is normally the case right in line with mine. I wondered if of all the ways to spend the money and especially with the purse strings being a little tight these days, I, I just wondered if the bang would be worth the buck for a guy like Kelsey. Um, so, you know, it's kind of a head versus heart debate there. Heart absolutely loves the guy and give him all the money in the world. Head is kind of thinking, we might be able to use that money to keep winning Super Bowls. And I'm not sure if he's going to help with that until I read your article. Good plug, Taylor. I appreciate that. So <laughs> go check out that piece, guys. But I am going to kind of talk through a little bit of what I talked about there. And, you know, I wanted to dive into the numbers because the I the numbers, the figures. I I I was surprised that the Chiefs were willing to do this, especially since they didn't really lower his cap number for next year. In fact, they tacked on a little bit of extra money in 2021, which if you've been following along with the podcast or just what has been going on with the Chiefs this offseason, that 2021 season is gonna be it's gonna be the trick, right? Like if they can get past 2021 where the cap could be as low as $175 million, which is about, you know, 15 below or 20 below what it, what it is this year and what it would have projected to be next year. Uh, if they can get past that, they're probably going to be in good shape, but it, it did, it didn't save the chiefs any money next season. And it is a backloaded deal, but I got to tell you, Taylor, when I dove into some of the comparable tight ends of the last 20 years to Travis Kelsey, I was surprised at how productive they were able to continue to be. And the first guy, obviously, that I compared him to was Tony Gonzalez. And, you know, they're kind of a little bit different players. What was interesting to me, just that kind of jumped out right away, was how young Tony Gonzalez was hmm. when he came into the league. Like, we've, you know, you you were a football fan all through the 90s, and I was yeah. too, but more of a casual fan until I kind of went away to college in the early 2000s. Tony Gonzalez played his rookie season, his entire rookie season, at age 21, which is, which is an unbelievably young age, uh, really, in the NFL. I mean, you have to come out pretty early. You have to stay healthy. You have to kind of be young for your age, so to speak, mm -hmm. uh, to be able to play your rookie year that young. And so by the time he hit 25, which was Travis Kelsey's first season in the NFL, it was already his fifth season, and he was already a two-time Pro Bowler and a two-time first-team All-Pro. So Kelsey got a late start. He, was, uh, he came out a little bit older, and then his rookie season, he was injured with an injury, so he didn't get to play his entire rookie year. But when you compare their careers starting at age 25, which honestly is – giving Tony Gonzalez a little bit of an advantage because he already had a wealth of experience in the NFL that, yeah. that Kelsey did not have. The numbers are surprisingly close and Kelsey is actually a little bit ahead of where Gonzalez was from that age 25 to age 30 range. Yeah. And I think part of that also, you know, the utilization of the tight end, which is another thing that you touched on in the article, but um, you know, Kelsey did definitely enter the league at a much friendlier numbers time to be a tight end in the NFL compared to the early or the mid nineties when Gonzalez entered. So he did well, have, Gonzalez made it. I mean, that, he did. He, he, created, he created that, that. era. Yeah, yeah you're exactly. exactly right. Yep. 
Yeah, it's fun. It's fun as a Chiefs fan. And obviously, I know that some people have soured a little bit on Tony Gonzalez because of the way that that ended with him being traded away to Atlanta. And then some of the things that he said since then, obviously, you know, he he had a little bit more playoff success in I mean, he was able to win a playoff game. Yeah. In Atlanta, which he was never able to do with the Chiefs. Yeah. I think it was his one win. One playoff yeah. win. Yeah. yeah, I think just yeah. So it's and not they, like he won a Super Bowl with them, you know. I he mean, did not. He, he came really close that year that they lost to Seattle. They were, good. they were good in that crazy game back and forth where Ryan scored with I don't know it was like a minute left in the game and then the Seahawks went down. Russell Wilson let Russ the Seahawks cooked. down and 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 uh, walked off in that game. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I know people have soured a little bit on Tony Gonzalez, but it's kind of fun that uh, Tony Gonzalez paved the way for Travis Kelsey and the numbers that he's put up. Uh, you probably know that Travis Kelsey has an NFL record four straight 1,000 yard seasons by a tight end, which Mm -hmm. there's actually only one tight end that's ever had three straight. It's Greg Olson, uh, which is kind of a little bit crazy. Um, Four straight 1,000 yard seasons that ties the most 1,000 yard seasons by any tight end ever. Not, I mean, let alone consecutive seasons. Tony Gonzalez had four. Uh, Kellen Winslow had four as well. Jason Witten, Rob Gronkowski, and then of course Kelsey. And Kelsey has four straight 1,000 yard seasons, which is by far the record. So he's going to be entering his age 31 season. He's turning 31 in October, and. If you want to look at some of the numbers, you can check out the article. I won't go through the numbers because that's a little bit dry to talk about on a podcast. I've got some charts and everything to kind of, you know, give it a little pop, give it a little pizzazz. (laughs) But the takeaway message, Taylor, is that Tony Gonzalez and the other two guys that compared him to that had really productive careers at tight end past 30 were Antonio Gates and Jason Witten. They didn't really get appreciably worse efficiency-wise. So their catch percentages stayed pretty static their touchdown rate stayed pretty static where you see the drop off is in yards per reception and yards per target, which makes sense. So they're slowing down a little bit. They're not being utilized as much down the field, you know, to stretch the field, which is obviously is something that young Travis Kelsey did exceptionally well. You would expect that same drop off among wide receivers. And I mean, you, you know, would. it's, yeah, it's absolutely age. Would. That's what that is. Absolutely. would. And really, I think it's helpful to, not to look at wide receiver numbers necessarily, but like you said, the way that the tight end position has evolved, Travis Kelsey lined up in line and, you know, was used like as an inline, you know, possible blocker on about 45% of his snaps last year. And he was lined up out wide 25% of the time. And the rest of the time would have been between the slot or, you know, there were a handful of times he lined up in the backfield. <laughs> Wildcat. Um, and all, yeah, he, obviously he did all kinds of fun stuff. a couple of memorable Wildcat snaps <laughs> that he had last year for sure. But, but him, being used less and less as a blocker is good because that means he's going to have a longer career. You know, people always want to compare him to Kittle and, you know, say Kittle's a better player because he blocks more or Gronk, you know, Gronk in his prime was obviously an unbelievable red zone threat, which is not something that Kelsey has necessarily been. I mean, he's good, but he's not, he's not Gronk and he's not been, you know, a, a crazy efficient blocker, but you know what else he hasn't been hurt why because he's not blocking all the time like you know it's almost like you know you take a premium position like your quarterback you don't really want your quarterback out you know as a lead blocker on a trick play or something like that because you don't want Patrick Mahomes getting hurt on a dumb you know like a a, a single play like you don't want to build your strategy around putting a, a 
an impact player, an elite player in a position where they're going to be exposed to injury. It just doesn't make sense. So while certainly his versatility, his ability to line up in line, his ability to block, he is a good blocker. In fact, I believe PFF had him as a better pass blocker than Kittle last yeah, year. That's correct. Yeah. I mean, he, he's not a bad blocker at all, but the way that he's utilized is going to really, I think, extend his career. So I think, I think we're going to see a pretty productive Travis Kelsey, assuming he's able to stay healthy right up, through the end of this contract. And I don't think, I don't think it means he's going to have six more thousand yard seasons in a row. I mean, I think his usage is for sure going to change. It's going to, it's going to be a gradual transition to, you know, fewer targets in the offense, a little bit of a shift probably in how he's used uh, fewer, fewer routes down the field, but he's got such route running savvy and, and you've seen it. You and I have talked about it just the last couple of years, even that, you know, there will be plays where he'll put the moves on a guy and he just won't quite have the same burst that he used to have, Yep. Uh, you know, to be able to run away from people. But the way that he's able to use his body to get open and just, you know, put the brakes on people and, you know, pick up those extra yards just to get first downs, you know, forget about 30 yard plays and, and explosive plays. Not that he, he's incapable of doing that. He he's still have can plenty of ways to get the 30 yard plays. They, they don't sure. need it out of Travis Kelsey. Yeah, exactly. But, but him being able to be that middle of the field threat, you know, whether he's lining up in line, whether he's lining up at the slot or lining up outside, you know, to be able to pull down, you know, 10 to 15 yards and possibly, you know, move the chains. That's kind of what his role is now and what his role is going to continue to be. And I think he can continue to be effective in that role. I completely agree, not only because of my trust in Travis, but he has something that Kellen Winslow and Antonio Gates and Jason Witten and Tony Gonzalez didn't have, and that's Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. I mean, yep. he he is so set up to succeed just based on the situation, just like all the Chiefs players are. And when you add in his great route running instincts and the offense that he's going to be in that is going to be going up and down the field, they're going to be scoring at will. I don't see that changing anytime soon, certainly not by the end of the contract. And he's going to get his opportunities. And that's something that, you know, the number one thing for, for compiling stats in the NFL is you got to be able to just have the opportunities and then yep. seize them. And he certainly will be able to seize them. So I, I just feel like after, after kind of the perspective, uh, especially that you laid out, but with, aging tight ends and how they were still able to be effective and just some different, you know, um, nuggets about the tight end position. I just feel like now that that's locked up now that the chiefs don't have to, you know, worry about the depth chart, really a tight end for a long time, just like they don't have to worry about the depth chart at many positions for a long time. Now they're just, they're just building this rock solid foundation. And I think he, while he's, the elder statesman of the group he he's gonna age well into the into the yeah. role and that's, absolutely that's a great thing to have yeah i think his his athleticism is going to it's not going to completely go away and i think it's going to age in a way that you know even if he gradually loses some athleticism this is an offense where he can continue to be successful we've seen and i didn't break these guys down in the article but we've seen a lot of tight ends have success past 30, whether it be a guy like Delaney Walker with the Titans yeah. who had several good seasons. Did after he sign with anybody? 
he's still a free agent. I think he's probably going to be hitting, hitting the retirement line here before too long. I think he's 37 or 38. Benjamin Watson, who uh, has had some, some runs with the Patriots, the Saints, you know, those are both guys that didn't really even get their careers going until after age 30. I mentioned Greg Olson earlier, who is in second place with the three straight 1000 yard seasons. He's really had a pretty good career past 30. I think the, the thing to remember is that, you know, these, these guys that are not being used like Kronk or a Kittle that aren't being asked to block, you know, 60, 70% of the time and then run routes the rest of the time that are being used more like move tight ends, big wide receivers that can block, you know, and, and do have that flexibility. Yep. Those guys have pretty long careers. And I think that's, that's obviously, that's the position that Travis Kelsey plays. That's the role that he plays. And so, we can go, you know, we can have that Kittle Kelsey debate or that Kittle, you know, that Kelsey Gronk debate all we want. Gronk retired at 29. Now he's unretired, but Kelsey's going to be 31 this year and he's planning to play at least, you know, until he's 36, you know, Rob Gronkowski is going to be retired probably two or three times by then. (laughs) Right. Good point. Like any good Patriot, he's going to retire a couple of times. Yeah, exactly right. So, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, for what he does in this offense, I think he'll be able to continue to do that. Like you said, with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. And it just is, we've said this about every extension, every player that's joined the run it back movement this off season. It's just fun to see those guys, especially a guy like Kelsey, who's obviously like one of the heart and souls of this team uh, to, to get hit what paid what he's worth and be able to, you know, lock it up for, for the long term. We have another returning player, <laughs> Taylor, like a bad penny. He, he returns again. Marcus Kemp signs with the Chiefs. This is a little bit of a it's, – it's a minor item. We wanted to throw it in here. Uh, he obviously he – um, he did not play with the Chiefs last year, but has been with the Chiefs previously. And a guy that um, Dave Tobe has really enjoyed employing on the special teams has not really ever – cracked the rotation at wide receiver particularly he's always been pretty far down in the rotation you know he'll show up every once in a while to make a catch but a guy that really is uh, more of a special team star and really has been a pretty good special teams player now I have multiple distinct memories of Marcus Kemp attempting to down punts and horribly botching that so so that's the downside, right? Like if I remember you are bad at downing punts, <laughs> that's not a good situation. And that is unfortunately the case with Marcus Kemp, yeah. but he is a good, he is a good gunner on special teams. Uh, so a guy that wasn't even playing last season, I guess he, he essentially, he didn't stick with the roster last year. He compiled no stats in 2019, but you know, Dave Tobe has a little bit of pull over the bottom of this roster and he got his guy, Marcus Kemp back. Yeah. It's, um, you know, the continuity is a is a theme with the Chiefs, the familiarity, guys that know each other, you know, their practice habits and their route running, just all the different, you know, the things that football players can only learn from experience. And they just, they, they never shy away from bringing a guy back in, you know, different signings that the Chiefs show that if they know a guy in their system and they know how he's going to perform, they're fine with bringing him back. And yeah, I think Kemp, as long as uh, Tobe tells him to stay away from downing punts, which I would think all it took is one or two times of seeing him attempt <laughs> that to realize that that's not his game. Downing punts, not really my thing, coach. <laughs> nice. 
so we've got some, we'll, we'll do kind of a double, a double up here. This is uh, some unfortunate news, some that we knew was coming and one that we didn't. So Bashar Breland, Adam Schefter, quote unquote, reported today that he has a four game suspension for substance abuse. That was not really news because Tom Pelissero reported that way back in the infancy of this podcast. It was one of the first things that we covered back in April when we started doing this show. And, you know, we knew the number of games. We knew what it was for. There was obviously that incident in Georgia where he was found with some marijuana. He, quote, unquote, resisted arrest. If you guys really want to know my opinion on that as a prosecutor, you can go back and listen to that episode. I'm not going to jump into all of that again. But the news, I guess, is that he is not going to be appealing that. He is going to take a four-game suspension. So we will not see him through the first month of the season. What do you think about that, Taylor? Well, corner is not exactly what you would call a depth area for the Chiefs. In fact, it's not quite the opposite. Um, I know before the Chiefs signed Breland to the one-year deal, it was the same situation that they'll be facing in the first four games of the season, which is right. not a lot of experience there. Um, Traveris Ward, while has while he's shown himself very admirably, is not exactly a polished product by any means. And outside of him, you know, there's just really Rashad Fenton is is a fine talent, but not someone that's played high at the NFL level for even a full year. So it's, it's just kind of, it's dicey and teams are going to be throwing because the chiefs are going to be throwing and they're certainly going to be testing on the outside. And I'm, I'm a little concerned. It's, it helps a lot that the safety unit's good and it helps a lot that the chiefs are going to have a good pass rush and that they're going to be scoring points themselves. You know, they're, they'll be able to bandaid, not having star cornerbacks well enough, but uh, it doesn't help. Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be a little bit of a challenge, but it's one that the chiefs have been, they've had several months to prepare for it. It's not a shock. You know, they knew that that Breland was going to miss some time, you know, whether he was going to miss four games or whether he might've had a chance to get that reduced on appeal down to three or two, maybe they knew they weren't going to have him for at least the first couple of weeks of the season. They open against the Texans. Then they play the chargers and the Ravens and the Patriots. So games you want a good cornerback for. Yeah. Yeah. In a sense you do, but I mean, you know, Lamar Jackson and Tyrod Taylor and Cam Newton, Hmm. not necessarily guys that are known for, I mean, those are all good offenses, but, you know, the chiefs have managed to kind of band-aid together a good secondary without having a lot at the cornerback position, you know, I mean, for all of 2019, Steve Spagnuolo was kind of able to, to work around it a little bit. They do yeah. have obviously Legeria Sneed, um, Bo Pete Keys, you know, some defensive backs that they took obviously in the draft this year that may be able to contribute. Um, you know, they're not going to have any game experience because the preseason got canceled and they're rookies. So, you know, that could be a little bit dicey, but they certainly have, they have enough there that as long as they don't have any injuries, they probably can duct tape something together for four weeks and then they'll have Bashad Breland back. And he obviously is a guy who played in the system last year and played pretty well at stretches. So had some huge plays. Yeah. We'll see uh, how that kind of plays out. The, the other news that we got in the suspension realm, which we got through Steve Spagnuolo, um, is that Mike Pinnell apparently is facing perhaps an early season suspension. We don't know a whole lot about it other than that he's appealing it. We don't know the game length as of the time we're recording it. We don't, 
I don't believe we know what it's for exactly. No, you would assume it's for some kind of banned substance since presumably some kind of legal issue. Um, you know, we would know about that just because, you know, typically those things are public record and people keep a pretty good, a pretty good handle on those. So something like maybe a, a banned substance or something like that, that's something that the new CBA, I, I mean, specifically with respect to marijuana made that a little bit laxer. So I wonder if it's maybe a different kind of substance maybe that we're dealing with. Um, you know, he was a guy too, that was a street free agent when the Chiefs signed him. Those guys sometimes can have some, some issues with banned substances because they obviously they're not in the league. <laughs> they were um, living on the street. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, I mean, we, we were just talking about a former Patriots tight end, Benjamin Watson, who I think now is retired. He, um, he had been out of football. He had essentially retired and then the Patriots called him back and signed him as a free agent. And he immediately failed a drug test. Um, oh yeah. Somehow Marshawn Lynch was retired and then got back into the NFL without failing a drug test, which <laughs> that guy's basically made of marijuana. So I'm not sure how that happened, but anyway, we'll, we'll keep tabs on the Pinnell situation. The good news is Taylor, unlike cornerback defensive line is actually a, a pretty deep position for the chiefs, uh, at least on defense, that probably is the deepest group that they have. Yeah, certainly. And they have some, you know, some high ceiling guys that might not, I mean, there, there's a lot of rotation in there. They're going to want to see performances out of some of these guys, Taco Charlton and Tano Passano and some guys that they don't really Reland speaks. Reland speaks. Absolutely. Speak season for sure. Um, so it's, it's not, although I'm a huge Mike Pinnell fan, I, I love what he was able to bring to the team last year, and they will certainly miss his presence. It doesn't feel nearly as dire as the situation at corner does, just because, like you said, not only are two of the superstars of the team on the D-line, you know, regardless of the depth behind them, if you've got Chris Jones and Frank Clark out there, you can make it work, no matter right. you know what other pieces you're throwing in. But they do have some fun pieces to add to that line and I just it, it's unfortunate I hope Mike possibly wins his appeal and doesn't get suspended at all but even if he does get dinged I would think just based on the way that Spags approached the news that it's not like it's going to be more than you know I would think four would be the absolute maximum number of games there so yeah we will uh we will see how that goes but fortunately when you're a title contender the issues at the beginning of the season are not nearly as important as having everyone there at the end. So as long as Mike's there for a playoff run, that's what we want. So lastly, in the news, we got some very good news just today. In fact, Juan Thornhill uh, is returning to practice. Yay. He announced on, on Twitter that he is back. So that is very good news. We, uh, he obviously, he was injured in week 17 in the last week of the season. He tore his ACL. This is uh, right around, I mean, this is right around the timetable where, you know, we weren't really sure if he was going to be ready for the start of the regular season. We're still yeah. not a hundred percent sure. Um, but obviously him returning to practice today is a huge step in that direction. And in a related note, just to kind of sneak this news in here, it looks like uh, former Dolphin safety, Adrian, I'm going to call it Colbert. I'm going to say Colbert. <laughs> I think it's Colbert. Colbert. I think I saw someone say Colbert. But it's probably you go Colbert. with Adrian Colbert. I'm going to go with cool. Adrian Colbert. That's yeah. how I'm going to say him. Former Dolphin safety, Adrian Colbert, <laughs> intends to sign with the Chiefs. So these news items sort of came – one after the other. Uh, first, the news that we intended to sign this former Dolphin safety. And that, to me, when I, we got that news yesterday, late on Tuesday, suggested that 
maybe Thornhill had a setback. They did have uh, Alex Brown, one of their defensive backs, uh, suffered a season-ending injury in practice the other day, guy further down the depth chart. But this seems like, certainly straight from the horse's mouth with Juan Thornhill saying that he's back, that certainly seems like a good development and whatever their intentions are signing this depth piece from uh, the Dolphins, this former safety of the Dolphins, it seems like at the very worst, uh, Juan Thornhill is trending towards being able to play sooner rather than later. Yep. I agree with that. It also could be some sort of, you know, manipulation with having Legereus Sneed play more at corner while they have some corner issues. And then that would kind of you know, leave a spot in the safety room. And so they could just be needing to bring in DBs, regardless of whether it's corner or safety, obviously honey badger plays a lot of both. So if they, if they have guys that are a little versatile, I don't know much about or anything about Adrian Colbert, but maybe (laughs) he uh, is a little versatile too. Maybe he can play a little corner as well. So, you know, it's just, it's good. Thornhill was obviously kind of touted as a honey badger light, you know, a, a little model of him. He played corner at Virginia. So, um, they, they like the guys that can do both that aren't set to be a cornerback or set to be a safety. And so yeah. the more DBs they bring into that room, the better. Yeah. Well, that's going to do it for the news, Taylor, for this week. Let's get into some of these mailbag questions. We've got one here starting off from James Partridge at Fun and James 85. Hey, at Taylor Witt, at Real Bird Lawyer. Those are our Twitter handles if you would like to follow us on Twitter. I assume you watched the franchise. That's the show that the Chiefs put out through their uh, official channels. Thoughts, favorite moments, anything stick out to you as eye-opening or make you look at players in a different way? Uh, yeah, I mean, I love the franchise. I've not heard whether we're getting a version of that this year. I would assume that they'll do something like that. Um, but to me, it was uh, it, it was a little bit hit and miss. I mean, they're definitely the the good moments were incredible. Anything we get, you know, behind the scenes, you know, on the sidelines, yeah. in the locker rooms, that kind of content directly from the players, where you get to see their personalities, and then um, when they would kind of dig into some deeper interviews and spots with the players. So I know they went like they went back to college with Derek Nadi. Those moments really stand out. And then obviously like the game action and, and seeing, and a lot of that stuff you get through NFL films too, in the form of mic'd ups and things like that. But those are kind of the highlights for me. Mm-hmm. Just speaking specifically of like the season highlight, I really liked the episode where they went to Foxborough, where they kind of dug into um, (laughs) that was not only was it a a very interesting game, but then obviously the chiefs had that bizarre logistical snafu, which unfortunately they, they could have dived into that more. Like I, you know, it would have been fun to see them sort of explore that conspiracy a little bit, but then obviously the whole, the whole playoff run um, obviously stands out, you know, the Super Bowl stands out. (laughs) Uh, Thanks Alex. Uh, What about you? Well, um, I, I remember weekly as as the momentum for the team would start to steamroll and people started around town and everything realizing like, okay, this this team's got it. You know, they're the the franchise was just another injection of the Chiefs. It was just another way to when it wasn't game day, but you wanted to see more and you wanted to hear more and all that. It was just a very good supplemental um, you know, piece of of entertainment. And I absolutely looked forward to it every week. Um, I agree with you that it was hit and miss, but for the most part, I felt like it was a hit every now and then they would do, you know, maybe Garrick Dieter was a little boring or something like that, but it was, it was pretty good. And 
Um, I loved the talk that Clark gave the team before the season started. I oh, thought that was incredible. Chilling. I mean, that was just so he had the exact right mindset. I didn't, I don't really know a ton about Clark's personality. I mean, you know, he's always been in front of the cameras and stuff, but I just felt like that was the way of like, okay, that's Clark in, in the work mode, talking to the players and all that stuff. And he was just very matter of fact, um, you know, it was Super Bowl or bust. It was my dad's name on the trophy. It was all that stuff that just gets me chills. And I thought that was the most memorable part of the franchise for me. Just like this podcast, which obviously we we started after the Super Bowl ended, but we went back and recapped games from each week. If you are a late joiner of the podcast, certainly feel free to go back and check out those episodes. We, we recapped each game of the 2019 season from week one through the Super Bowl. It's just nice to have a document of what was going on, you know, in the moment. Like you said, that whole thing with Clark Hunt where he says – you know, we're going to we're gonna get back to the championship game. We're going to win the trophy that has my dad's name on it. And then we're going to go to Miami and we're going to win the Super Bowl. Just to, to have a video of him saying that, you know, in August in the preseason, of 2019 yeah. is just a super fun, cool thing, which like you said, like every time I watch it, it just, it just gives me chills. It's great. So I really hope they're bringing back something like that uh, this season. We'll, we'll stay tuned. This will be right around the time that we'd, we'd start to get to see it. I hope so. Uh, we've got one from the Elite Duck. This is a new contributor to the pod, so thank you for the question. At the Elite Duck, I'm sure you are elite at whatever duck activities you perform. Question for the pod. With a Super Bowl ring, four years straight of 1,000 receiving yards, and a new deal looming, what does Kelsey need to do to pass Tony G as the greatest Chiefs tight end of all time? Thanks for the great pod. Keep up the amazing work. Thank you, Elite Duck, for listening. Uh, we've obviously covered... Kelsey and Tony a little bit so far, but just to kind of dive into it more, um, I think one of the major easy stepping stones for Travis to do to vault over Tony would be the longevity would be to, you know, if he stays through this contract, he will have played more years with the chiefs than Tony did. Um, and leaving and going and playing five years in Atlanta, although that's not, that shouldn't really play into greatest or not greatest or whatever. If Travis retires a chief, I think it will be very easy for fans, especially to yeah. dub Travis as the greatest tight end. And, and um, production wise, because Tony, as we said, kind of ushered in that era of tight ends, but then Travis was born into it. Um, I'm not sure he I really has to, uh, go go for the numbers. What are, what are we looking at right now with Travis compared to Tony? Yeah, so just by the just by the numbers, um, I'll just give you Tony played in Kansas City for twelve seasons, ended up with one thousand or excuse me ten thousand nine hundred forty receiving yards and seventy six touchdowns. So to compare that to Travis, and obviously we we talked about um, Tony had a four year head start in the NFL. He played four NFL seasons mm -hmm. before age twenty five, and Kelsey played his first season in the NFL at twenty five. But right now Kelsey is at six thousand four hundred sixty five receiving yards. So receiving yardage wise, he's about five thousand forty five hundred yards behind. Which That's if amazing. he plays six more seasons, he's absolutely going to pass Tony That's amazing. in receiving yardage for the Chiefs. It is amazing. And then touchdown wise, so Tony had seventy three touchdowns as a Chief. Travis is currently at thirty seven. So he's got some ground to make up there. Mm -hmm. And then obviously I think you you hit the nail on the head. I think just in terms of the way that he's perceived you know, Tony's going to go down as, I mean, he currently is probably the greatest tight end to ever play. Agreed. Uh, you could make an argument if you want to, you know, argue peak, 
you could make an argument, I guess, for Gronkowski. Kellen Winslow. There, there are a know, couple of guys that are in the conversation. Yeah, Antonio but. Gates has more touchdowns, you know, and he, he similarly, he played for a very long time. Shannon Sharp kind of had a very nice little run in there. Ski but up. Ski up. <laughs> Shannon Sharp is probably better known for his embrace of Chiefs fandom post-playing career and for owning Skip Bayless on the undefeated <laughs> but, or the undisputed. But uh, yeah, I mean, production wise, he's absolutely, he's going to get the receiving yards, assuming he plays out this contract. And the only reason he wouldn't is if he, he, for some reason he gets hurt, he's not able to stay productive. The touchdowns, you know, he'd have to pick that pace up, but you know, with Patrick Mahomes, yeah, he had, he 10, played with Alex for four. I yeah, mean, you exactly. Know. He had 10 touchdowns, which was a career high in his first season with Pat. And then last year he just had five, but obviously Pat was her part of the year. The whole offense was just kind of a little dysfunctional. Um, yeah. I mean, I think the production wise, he's absolutely going to get there. And then obviously if he plays his entire career as a chief and retires as a chief, that's huge for his legacy. And then obviously the Super Bowl, I, you know, poor Tony, it obviously yeah. was not his fault that the chiefs couldn't win a playoff game when he was here. He was an incredible player. And in fact, they should have won a playoff game in which he should have scored. Barf. You know, yeah, Barf, I, move not, on. let's let's not go down that road. Let's move uh, past it. Let's move past it. It's not Tony's fault that he wasn't able to win a playoff game with the Chiefs, despite all of his efforts. But that absolutely matters when you're talking about a player's legacy with a franchise, especially. Mm-hmm. You know, um, big picture. You know, when you're talking about the Hall of Fame in Canton, maybe not. But certainly, when you're talking about contributions to the Chiefs. Travis going to a Super Bowl and winning a Super Bowl. And probably if he's going to be here six more years, <laughs> let's be honest. <laughs> six Taylor, more Super Bowls, baby. We're, we're talking about a lot more rings potentially yeah. for Travis Kelsey. And he caught uh, a touchdown think, in his first Super Bowl and he caught the three against Houston. I mean, he already has had a remarkable playoff run just this he year. Has. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's, he's going to do it, which is crazy to say. Because Tony is one of the literally like he's one of the two or three greatest tight ends of all time. He had an amazing career with the Chiefs. He's, you know, fifth all time in receiving yards in the yeah. NFL in NFL second history. in receptions. He's, yeah, he's second in receptions. I mean, he had an unbelievable career. It's incredible to think that Travis may top his Chiefs career. Uh, it's wild, but I think he absolutely can get there. We appreciate that question, the Elite Duck. We've got one here from one of our Birds Award, Josh, at True Green Thumb. Ka-ka! Ka-ka! Mailbag, since we have all these great extensions and whatnot, will the season be completed? Thoughts? <laughs> it feels like we talk about this every week. Yeah. But I got to say, Josh, uh, I have been extremely encouraged by the news we've gotten in the last week or so regarding the NFL's testing regarding the way everything's been moving forward. There are some teams that still have not had a single positive test. I believe the Texans have not had a single positive test, which obviously that's the Chiefs' opponent the first week, so that's good. They're not going to be bringing COVID into Arrowhead (laughs) in week one. Amazing they've avoided it down in Texas. Yeah, it is incredible. And the Chiefs really have not had any notable COVID tests. They have had a couple of guys kind of at the end of the roster that tested, you know, initially were screened, and then they were screened right on out. Um, immediately cut (laughs) yeah exactly right so you know the numbers have been going down the overall numbers the overall positivity rate is under one percent and I think just recently in the last couple of weeks they haven't hardly had any positive tests you know there was there was a little bit of 
concern for me personally when you know we first got into camp the bills had a couple of cases they sent their rookies home yeah you know the lions had a few cases matt stafford went on the COVID list for like 48 hours until they found out it was a, a false positive they had you know kenny galladay on the list tj hawkinson on the list but by and large it feels like all the teams kind of have this under control and over in baseball where it felt like it was maybe going to end the season. It certainly felt like that early positive tests with the Marlins and then with the Cardinals, you know, baseball has, they've kept playing and somehow they seem to have maybe gotten through it. I, I honestly am shocked that baseball has managed to keep going. I didn't think that it was the right thing necessarily for them to do. I didn't think they could necessarily pull it off, but the Cardinals are getting ready to get back to, to business. The Marlins play been, like 58 games in 44 days or something, which is numb. fine. That's their punishment for, yes. getting, for going out and getting COVID. <laughs> so they're going to have to play like a million games in two months, yeah. but you know what? The Marlins have come back and have been playing really good baseball. The rest of baseball has been carrying on without positive tests. And there was just an article today that I saw the, the, Indians had a couple of players go out and get caught essentially like violating curfew. Yeah. Two pitchers. Yeah. Mike Clevenger and another guy and the team was pissed. Mm -hmm. So there was a report that came out today that basically was like, if, if you don't essentially suspend these players that are on our team, like we're going to opt out because in baseball you can opt out really at any time. They're like, we'll we'll just opt out of the season. Oliver Perez said, I'm not going to play if you let these guys come back to the team. So like in Francisco Lindor, one of their star players he was apparently very vocal in this meeting it's good to see those stories come out of baseball and you know that that's happening in football as well because it seems like the accountability I mean the biggest thing for this to work is there just has to be accountability from the players it seems like we're getting that which I think is a hugely positive sign it's a miracle to have accountability among 20 something millionaires like that's just a that's something where they could very easily live a much more casual lifestyle and approach to that type of stuff but they're also world-class athletes and they also have elite work regimens and all that stuff. So, I mean, I, I, in that sense, I'm not surprised that the Indians responded that way, but it's great. It's also great news that the university of Illinois just developed a saliva test, a rapid saliva test. And that's operating under like FDA, basically emergency pushed it forward to let people start using that. There's a lot more uh, positive momentum just as far as the testing goes. And if you have great testing and you have people that are paying attention to the rules and following the rules, that's a good recipe for being able to move forward with the sport. And so, yeah, I think that if you had asked me this question and we did talk about this question, you know, a lot recently, but um, if you'd asked me this a month ago, three weeks ago, something I was feeling pretty, pretty pessimistic, pretty negative about it. Um, but I'm allowing myself to hope. I'm allowing myself to, <laughs> to imagine a scenario where the Chiefs are winning the Super Bowl in Tampa Bay in February, and it's, it's exactly like it was last year, where there's no asterisk, there's no you know, feeling of emptiness or whatever. I, I do think that the NFL is capable of executing an entire season here, and if they do, we're in good shape. So thanks for that, Josh. Uh, that was a good question and always, you know, Corona's on everyone's mind. So I get it. Our next one is from Bird of War, Justin Orell. Ka-ka! 
question for the pod. A lot of talk has been going on about Fernando Tatis breaking the unwritten rules of baseball, hitting a grand slam on a 3-0 count while up 10-3 in the eighth inning. It got me thinking, what are the unwritten rules of football? Running up to score, not always going for it on fourth down. What other rules can you think of, and how do you feel about breaking them? So great question, Justin. Um, Austin and I are very much of the mindset, as anyone who's listened to this knows, of screw tradition if it makes sense to do it a certain way it's we're not we're we're not unwritten rules types of guys and first i i think we need to tackle the tati's situation before we go into football a little bit um it was absolutely it was a 3-0 count and they piped a batting practice fastball right down the middle and he's leading the majors in home runs right now he was one up on mike trout so so he has pressure on himself as a young player and as a son of a former major league player to hit the ball all the time. Every time the ball comes his way, he's going to smack it. And and I don't think that taking a pitcher yard is something that a batter can take for granted. I mean, you, you just never know when your time is up in baseball. And if you're going to get up there, you're going to swing for the fences. And I think it should be an unwritten rule to not – hammer people like that to you know because i mean a seven run eighth inning is not out of the question if this is this was not a 20 to nothing game this is still a game where absolutely teams have given up seven or more in an inning before so you go up there and you help your team win every time you're asked of it and i thought it was absurd for anyone to think anything negative about that they should have been celebrating this young kid's 11th homer of the young season and instead guys like eric hosmer the old 30-year-old curmudgeon, we're giving him crap for it. It just, it sucked. It did suck. And baseball is just, it's a different sport from basketball or football, right? Like there's no such thing really as running up the score in baseball because instead of having time, you have outs and you can't take away the other team's number of outs, right? Like you can't just run out the clock in baseball. You still have to get the outs from the other team. The other yeah, so you're going to go up there and look like an idiot and just purposely swing and miss at three pitches yeah, and feel ridiculous. bad for the other team? And, and it's not like the other team isn't still trying to win, right? Like, it's not like the Rangers were going to go up there and just say, oh, the game's over. Right. We're just going to run out the string. You know that they would go up there and try to have good at-bats. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. It was obviously a situation where the Rangers were embarrassed, which – okay they're an embarrassing franchise they have been for the last couple of years sorry if we have any rangers fans that listen to the podcast but it is the truth you know the rangers had a game a couple years ago where they beat the orioles 30 to 3 you know like it just it it just doesn't make any sense these unwritten rules they're ridiculous baseball is for sure the worst but there definitely are some in football um i mean i think justin nailed them for sure like running up the score and going for it on fourth down when you're way ahead are like two that I can think of. Um, and certainly like, I mean, I just think like running good plays <laughs> when you have like a pretty substantial lead late in the game, passing the ball, passing the ball deep when you're up, you know, like we're, we're going to throw the ball 40 yards downfield when we're up three touchdowns in the fourth quarter. What about That's having your big defensive bad. tackle throw a touchdown? Is that bad form? Yeah. Yeah. You mean like, um, you mean like having your defensive tackle throw a touchdown when you're up like, three scores in the fourth quarter On against the division opponent. rival maybe yeah. yeah i think that might be considered bad form but you know what it's awesome <laughs> it's awesome it's and it so should happen good. all the time in preparation for this segment we were we were going back and looking at the don don tari poe touchdowns and don tari poe has three career touchdowns is that right as a that chief is, that is right one passing two rushing 
And all three of them were in division games, which is just chef's kiss. Mm-hmm. Kudos to you, Andy Reid. A you. rushing touchdown against the Chargers, a rushing touchdown against the Raiders, and the piece de resistance, <laughs> a passing touchdown, hungry pig flight, the bloated Tebow against the Broncos when they were blowing the Broncos out in the fourth quarter at the end of the season. You know, just – Bravo to you, Andy Reid. Andy Reid doesn't care about the unwritten rules of football, and Patrick Mahomes doesn't care about the unwritten rules of football. And if they don't care, neither do I. (laughs) We're going to close this out with another question from Capri Sun fan of count, our guy, Juicy Josh 97 With Alex Smith cleared to return to football activities, shout out to Alex Smith. We all saw that. Just an amazing story. After getting his leg destroyed and with Washington completely bungling the injury, I thought it might be fun to draft your favorite games from the Alex Smith era. Follow up about Smith. If he plays even one snap this season, should he be the comeback player of the year? Would love to hear your guys' thoughts. Keep up the good work. Let's, let's handle that comeback player of the year question, and then we'll do this draft. The sure. answer to that is yes, he yeah. should be. If he sets foot on a football field again, <laughs> yes. I don't care if he takes yes. one snap in the victory formation, yes. he should be the comeback player of the year. And I think he'll get it too. I mean, it's been such a – a highly publicized story, but with good reason. Like if mm-hmm. you watch that E60, it's, it's unbelievable. The guy literally could have died. Yeah. And could have lost his leg. Could have never walked it, again. I mean, yeah. it's crazy because that video of him celebrating being cleared for football activity with his family, like he looks like he's limping around in that video. But then if you go out and watch some of these videos that they put out from practice, like he looks like he's moving pretty well. Yeah. I mean, you know, the guy's 35. Uh, he's He's been around, and obviously he's come back from a horrific injury. But, yeah, I think if he gets if he gets on the field at all for Washington, I think he can and should win Comeback Player of the Year. So we're going to draft our favorite games from the Alex Smith era. A little bit of a blast to the past here. So we're talking 2013 to 2017. Taylor, I get the first pick because I was the – the second pick in our last draft. It's been a while since we've drafted anything, but I am excited with the first pick in the Alex Smith era games draft. That's going to be week one against the Patriots, 42 to 27, the blowout win in Foxborough, the one that defied all of the records, you know, the Patriots winning every game in Foxborough where they were leading at halftime, leading in the fourth quarter, the Kareem Hunt game, but Alex Smith played great in this game. I will say of all the games in the Alex Smith era, this one game, week one against the defending champion, New England Patriots, this was the game where I thought, man, the Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl this year. <laughs> that yeah. was the closest That was the closest I ever got during the Alex Smith era to thinking this really could be our year. Yeah, it was magical. It was just like – Going into New England, defending champs and looking the way that they looked there was just something that as not only Chiefs fans, but as anyone outside of Foxborough, you just don't get that experience that often. And it was it was magical. I just loved it. Yep, that was a great first pick. And that would have been my number one obvious overall choice. pick as well. Obvious choice. Slam now dunk. you have some some bangers though. I do. You get two picks in a row. So where, where are you going with it? So um I think my second overall, it doesn't really matter if I pick this second or two, so I'll just stick with the New England theme, and I will Ah, say that our first two picks of this draft are going to be wins over New England. This one, of course, being the 2014 game in Foxborough, or I mean game in Arrowhead that you were lucky enough to be in attendance for the night before the Royals wildcard game. Uh, Just just an 
absolutely ridiculous experience where the Chiefs jumped out to a uh, 27 to nothing lead in this game in the third quarter. They were pantsing the Patriots. And this was, you know, again, the Patriots. This was the they would go on to win the Super Bowl this year. They were incredible. Um, And the way that the Chiefs just absolutely embarrassed them and had talk of Tom Brady you know, having lost it and all that stuff. Um, yeah, he was benched for Jimmy Garoppolo. He was benched his, for Jimmy uh, G through two picks. Game. He got just absolutely looked slow. He he fumbled the ball. Alex threw 248 yards and three touchdowns, which is a, you know, very, very great that's Alex a, Smith game. That's a vintage Alex Smith game. Vintage Alex Smith game. Um, just a lot to like about this. Very feel-good moment for the Chiefs. Um, it was good. It was good. Good times. So that was – um, Yeah, do you have any other thoughts of being at that game? Um, uh, no, Canting, I have – Let's talk- go Royals on the way out? Yeah, I have talked about this game before. And, in fact, I wrote about it for SI a couple weeks ago when baseball season kicked off, so to speak. Uh, it was just a – it was a really fun 48 hours in Kansas city sports history up until the chiefs won the super bowl and the Royals actually won the world series. That was like the pinnacle that Monday night massacre at Arrowhead. And then the wild card game, just the following day, uh, which I was also, we were both in attendance for. Um, yeah, it was, it was awesome. And I, I cannot fault that pick at all. It's that's a great pick. So, um, I'm assuming that you probably have, have an idea where I'm going here, but, um, I have I'm going an to take a division game. Yep. I'm going to take a division game that went to overtime uh-huh. and ended with a doinked Cairo Santos field goal. Oh, interesting. So, okay. so not, Oh, okay. Interesting. I yep. thought maybe okay. you would have seen that one coming, but so this is a fantastic, fantastic win by the chiefs. They were, uh, seven and three coming into this game facing the seven and three Broncos. So it was a very, you know, great mid to end season division. This is the game. last time the Broncos were remotely in the race. And <laughs> they were right there. They were right there. Way. They were tied. Exactly. And it's it was a Tyreek Hill coming out party. It was obviously a Sunday night football game. And Ty had uh, an 86 yard kickoff return on the safety punt after the Justin Houston sack in the end zone, put the chiefs up two nothing Tyree kill made it nine, nothing. And then the Broncos came back, went up 10, nine tie with a three yard run to go 16, 10 Broncos go up 24, 16. And then with 12 seconds left on the three yard line, no timeouts, Alex Smith hits Tyree kill and he stretches. They call him down at the one, the game's over. The Broncos are fired up. Game or play gets challenged. Tyreek crosses the plane. So they are, they were down 16 24. So they had to go for two. Uh, Demetrius Harris catches the two point conversion to tie it, sends it to overtime. And then in overtime, Brandon McManus starts off with a field goal and Cairo Santos. So then they're down 24 27. Santos ties it with four minutes left. And in overtime, obviously, that's not a lot of time before the tie. And then the Broncos get the ball. And instead of they have the ball, they, they have about a 60, I think it's 64 yard attempt with about a 50, 30 seconds left. And so they can either punt the ball and guarantee the tie with their division foe that they're tied with, or they can go for this Hail Mary field goal, a 64 yarder, even in Denver, not, I mean, that would have been with the Brandon NFL record McManus with Brandon McManus. And if they miss it, the chiefs get the ball in prime position to throw two or three passes and go kick the game winning field goal. And of course that's exactly what happened. They missed the field goal. Chiefs go down there and walk off doinking the, the ball off the upright. I mean, I, I was fired up. 
It that is a great pick, and really of the first three picks, I mean, like the New England games were really fun, but like just in terms of how crazy that game was, uh, that was a wild one. I I can't. There's not really much else to say about that other than, man, that that really epitomizes the grit of the Alex Smith era. And yeah. I'm gonna roll into where I thought you were going with this. Also, an overtime <laughs> division win. Yeah, week one of 2016. Right. Right. Over the San Diego at the time Chargers, that was my number which four. was at the time the biggest comeback win in Chiefs history before uh, the Houston playoff game this past season. Uh, the Chiefs were down in this game by 21 points, 24 to three. They came back to force overtime. Alex Smith brought the Chiefs back. Spencer Ware had a huge game. And week one, the Chiefs end up winning in overtime 27 to 24. This was at the time the biggest comeback in franchise history, an 18, 18 point, or excuse me, a 21 point deficit. They came back to win in overtime. That was going to be my pick here at number four. Just a great, and it, it produced obviously that iconic photo, you know, when I yeah. think of the Alex Smith era, yes. that photo of him just unleashing. Roaring. Yeah, roaring as soon as he scores, you know, the Chiefs score the, the winning field goal in overtime. Shout out to um, the artist Chief Corey 04 has a great, great depiction of that picture. Yeah, he does. And we love that, Corey. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, so that's going to be my pick with number four. Any thoughts about that game? Anything Loved you want to it. Add? It, was, it was great. It was Tyree Kill's first career touchdown. It was the, the comeback was very, very Alex um, 17 to three in the fourth quarter and then the touchdown to win it. I just loved it. Yep. Great pick. So then I get back-to-back picks here. So with the fifth overall pick, I'm going to take – this is really a Jamal Charles game, but (laughs) I'm going to take week 14 in the 2013 season, Chiefs Raiders, 287 yards for Alex, five passing touchdowns, (laughs) and a perfect passer rating. Now – Jamal Charles did a lot of the heavy lifting in this game. It would be really funny to go back and look at the air yards that Alex Smith put up in this game because uh, four of those touchdowns were screen passes to Jamal that he just took to the house. He was an animal in this game. But, you know, this in a lot of ways epitomizes, like, this is sort of the Alex Smith offense at it, at its best, right? Like, mm-hmm. you you don't do too much. You're just putting the ball in the hands of, as like Pat likes to say, this is probably something that he got from Alex Smith, right? When he yeah. was his understudy, just getting the ball into your ball into your playmakers hands and letting them make plays, right? Like that's, that's what this game was all about. The Chiefs put up 56 points in this game. Jamal put up uh, one of the greatest running back performances of all time. Uh, I actually did a sports illustrated piece on this. If you want to Google uh, game ball was the name of the series. And just, if you want to go to SI chiefs and check that out, I did a little, uh, a little series earlier in the summer. Uh, where I went through and kind of picked out the best individual performances in Chiefs history. And this one made it for both Jamal's performance and for Alex's performance. That's got to be my pick here at number five. I love it. That was a absolutely memorable game. Um, and obviously anytime you can drop 56 on Oakland, that's going to yeah, exactly. stick in your memory. That was a fun one for sure. Oh, it was beautiful. It was. I love how many division games we're getting in here. We're getting division division wins and Patriots wins. <laughs> yes, it is. So my pick will not be a division or a Patriots one. Um, I'm going with one of my favorite moments of the Alex Smith era, although it was not directly because of Alex Smith. It was a game in Atlanta, Georgia, in the Georgia Dome against the Falcons. And it was a game where the Chiefs found themselves – needing some magic 
and the person to provide that magic was an Atlanta native, one Eric Berry. He was mm. unbelievable in this game. The Chiefs were up were tied at 13 and Barry takes a Matt Ryan pass 37 yards to the house shows off that classic Eric Barry field vision that I just miss with my heart so much. He wove in and out of traffic, held the ball with one hand, looked like an absolute gangster doing it and scores a touchdown chiefs go up 20 to 13. Uh, and then from there, uh, Atlanta hits a 59-yard field goal to go 2016, and then the Chiefs are going to punt. They line up a third-quarter punt, and instead it's a up the middle, directly up the middle. Albert Wilson takes it 55 mm. yards Bert. to the house. Great, great special teams play. That was when we were like, this Dave Tobe guy like knows what he's doing. He was yeah. killing it then. And then the uh, Falcons score two late touchdowns to take a 27 27- 28 lead with 432 left and so after their touchdown they were like all right we got to go for two got to make it a three-point game you know that's what you do in that situation and eric barry so says, goal doesn't uh, win the game exactly and eric barry says nah he's gonna take that pass on the two-point attempt and score the first ever pick two in nfl history house is it back mitch holtis was was perfect on this call it was it was just a very emotional and great game the chiefs moved to nine and three on that victory um, in 2016. It was very, very, very fun. You've got another pick. What you got? I do. So this pick would be a game that I attended in person. Um, Always memorable when you can be at Arrowhead for a fun one. This Drew Brees came came to Arrowhead and started off with a Brandon Cooks touchdown, and then Spencer Ware hit a long screen pass from Alex Smith to tie it up. Dan Sorensen hit a had a tipped ball around midfield that he took to the house for a 14-7 lead. And then I saw the magic of Tyreek Hill in person. And this was still his rookie year. So to set that up, this is week six of 2016 as well. And Ty just absolutely beat the brakes off of the Saints defense behind him. Alex dropped a ball in perfect from 38 yards. The Chiefs go up 21-7. And I'm sitting there with my buddy going, oh my God, this rookie that we got can move and I knew he could move but like seeing it in game action is different than just hearing that he's got a fast 40 time that was the first bomb to tie of many and uh it was very 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 memorable the Chiefs end up winning 27 21 uh love that game yeah that was a fun one I do remember obviously this was this was back when we were just learning about Tyreek Hill in his rookie year, it's funny, you went with two 2016 games there. And I'm also going to go with the 2016 game. This one actually followed, immediately followed the Falcons game. So just to set the stage a little bit, the Falcons win put the Chiefs at 9-3. and three, And their very next matchup, a short week, was hosting the Oakland Raiders. And the Raiders came into this game at 10-2. and two. This was back when wow. Derek Carr was getting the MVP hype. Not deservedly, but he was getting it. <laughs> The Chiefs were nine and three. The Raiders were ten and two. And this was December eighth. Was the first or the second uh, game of December for the Chiefs? Just four games left on the schedule, and this was obviously a huge game for the division. With the Chiefs already having a win over the Raiders in the bag, so a win over the Raiders would, would give them the head-to-head tiebreaker. Um, going forward it ended up being pivotal as the Chiefs and the Raiders both finished 12 and 4 in the 2016 season so this game was uh, a terrific you know your classic division game it's it's such an appropriate draft pick the reason I love picking this for our Alex Smith draft is Alex Smith really owned 
the AFC West. It's mm-hmm. funny to think about, you know, our division rivals were celebrating when we traded away yeah. Alex Smith because <laughs> he was such a Raider, Bronco, and Charger killer. You know, he just didn't lose in the division. This game was, you know, for all of the Chiefs' dominance in the AFC West, this was a this was a winner-take-all game, essentially. It ended up being a winner-take-all game. And the Chiefs just do not lose road game, or they just do not lose division games. The Chiefs came into this game and they put up 21 points in the second quarter, including a 36-yard touchdown pass from Smith to Tyreek Hill. Uh, Charkandrick West had a rush. And then, of course, Tyreek, again, with a 78-yard punt return mm. off of the Marquette leg King. of Marquette King. Yes, the, the dancer. And uh, Tyreek took it back. Arrowhead was chanting his name. The Chiefs end up winning this one 21 to 13 and then winning the division tied with the Raiders 12 and four. The Raiders only uh, double digit win season since they, you know, were on the cusp of the Super Bowl back in the tuck, the tuck rule game against the Patriots in the early 2000s. Uh, so this to me, like, again, it wasn't the the most statistically amazing game from Alex Smith. He was 17 or 26 for 264 and a touchdown. He also had a pick in this game, but this was just, you know, it was one of those classic Alex Smith games where he manages the game. Tyreek Hill does Tyreek Hill things and the chiefs win a pivotal division game. They sweep the division. They go on to, uh, to take uh, the AFC West, the first of their several AFC West crowns in a row, beginning with that 2016 run. Great, great pick. Almost had slotted that in there, but uh, I have the last pick here now. No, I have one more pick. Hold on. Oh, my fault, my fault. Yeah, back to back, and then you get your pick. I thought that was your second one. You just talked so long that I was like, okay, he must be be uh, done. Yeah, yeah, is it my turn to talk yet? No, it isn't. (laughs) I have one more. I'm picking the playoff win. Alex Smith did nothing in this game, but this was sort of the culmination of – the Alex Smith, Andy Reid era, a big breakthrough for both of those guys. I'm talking, of course, about our 30 to nothing playoff win over the Houston Texans. Alex Smith really did nothing in this game except not beat Brian Hoyer, who got absolutely (laughs) demolished by the Chiefs in this game. And I do think, like, you know, obviously Alex's first playoff uh, game of his Chiefs career was probably, like, his most impressive performance maybe in his entire career as a chief i'm talking about the game against the colts which i don't want to talk about because it was a very painful loss so let's and not. not entirely on alex smith but this was a great game i'm picking it because it was one of my top feel-good moments of the alex smith era i can't go wrong with it i know he didn't do anything in the game but i'm picking it anyway chiefs over texans in the playoffs 30 to very memorable. And now night. it's back to you. Very memorable night. I remember that. Well, that was a lot of fun to experience a playoff win as an adult human. That was great. It was. Um, so for the final pick, I could go with the uh, chiefs 45, 10 victory in the snow at Washington. That was a very nice offensive performance. Um, I could go with this great 42-34 shootout that Alex won over Deshaun Watson, rookie Deshaun Watson in the Houston Texans. I had that on my list as well. Yep, very, very good game. Um, Alex had three touchdown passes. And Chiefs although, were 5-0 after that game. Exactly. It was, a five, it was the fifth win of the year, and it was just very 324 and three touchdowns. Alex cut it up. 
I could also, if we're picking games in the Alex Smith era that made us feel good, I could go <laughs> with a 27-24 victory on the road in, in Denver in which young gunslinger Patrick Mahomes made his NFL debut. But obviously, this is, a, this is an Alex shout-out. So this is an that. Alex appreciation draft. Although I certainly thought about it. So I'm going to pick a, another game from 2016, which had a lot of very dramatic and fun games. This was a game at the Carolina Panthers where the Chiefs found themselves in a fourth quarter six or 17 to six hole and they needed something to happen and once again our guy Eric Berry stepped up he had a 42 yard pick six on Cam Newton that was very very reminiscent this was just mere weeks before he did the same thing in Atlanta so he was on his playmaking high horse for these couple weeks and it saved the day it cut it to three um, the Chiefs had a three uh, field goal with four minutes left to tie it and then a walk-off field goal at the gun by Cairo Santos to win it. This was the game that uh, Marcus Peters uh, threw a flag into the crowd. He threw something. Marcus Peters oh, threw something. Oh, it was a flag. Yeah, I mean, if it is indeed the game that we're talking about with Marcus Peters, he, I, he threw a penalty flag into the stands. Into the stands. That was the that was the Carolina game. Um, but it was very memorable, very fun. Good road win to keep the Chiefs first place in the division. Uh, that 2016 year was a, quite a ride. Yeah, it was. So that closes out our Alex Smith appreciation draft. We appreciate uh, you giving us the chance to kind of give that – that little love to our man, Alex Smith, Juicy Josh. We appreciate the the prompt there. Obviously, huge shout out to Alex Smith. Uh, we really do hope that he gets on the field for the Washington football team this year. And that's going to do it for us this week, guys. We will be back next week. I will not be on vacation. I will be ready, Corey, to answer your mailbag question when I'm back at work and I have some time on my hands. We'll see you all next week. <laughs>